0: Uh, this morning, we're going to kick off a short series walking through a single chapter of the New Testament. We're actually going to take five weeks to do one chapter. Uh, while I was on sabbatical, uh, and I was just spending time in God's Word each morning, um, I found that there were a handful of passages of Scripture that God just kept bringing me to over and over again. Last week, I shared one of them, which was just John chapter 15, all about how we abide in friendship with Jesus Um, but, uh, another one was first Peter, probably going to do a series on that at some point. But today I want to take, I want to start us on a series where we're going to be walking through one of my favorite chapters in all of the new Testament, which is Romans 12. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and grab it. You can grab one of the hardback ones in the pew, uh, check the table of contents if you need. It's about three quarters of the way through the Bible. And we're going to read that here in a few minutes. Now, one of the dangers that I see in the way that we talk about the Christian life is the struggle to plant this Christian faith in our actual day-to-day experiences. Sometimes, for many of us, spirituality can feel so esoteric or squishy that we might fail to see how it is lived out in our real lives. We live in a time where we hear a lot about spirituality, from health gurus to Eastern spiritual views that, that, are, you know, that work their way into sort of the culture. There's a rising interest in aliens all of a sudden. Stay tuned on more of that, I guess, maybe. Um, as well as the paranormal. And here's what we do in America. In modern America, we sort of take an assortment of random spiritual ideas. We add a heavy dose of consumerism. We blend it all up, and there you have it, a vague spiritualist mixture that requires very little of you besides simple tolerance of other people. But as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, we believe that the gift of salvation that we have received in the cross of Jesus, it actually sets us up on a lifelong journey towards transformation. The goal of the Christian life, like if we could summarize it very, very simply, would be to be with Jesus, like we talked about last week, abiding in the vine, and becoming like Jesus slowly over time being formed more into the image of Christ. And if the Christian life is going to have the transformative power that I'm suggesting here, then it'll somehow need to move from the esoteric and into the flesh and bones of our lives. Otherwise, we'll end up just falling victim to a cycle of navel-gazing and frustration. The way of Jesus needs to go from our intellect or even our emotions all the way into our living into our families and our workplaces, our house cleaning, our budgeting, and our friendships. In short, the words of this book that we call Scripture, that we call the Bible, need to take on flesh. And we know that in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh. It means that Jesus, the the word of God, became flesh in the life of Jesus. But as we follow Jesus, he's inviting the same reality to take place within us, that the words would take on flesh flesh through our lives, which finally brings us to Romans chapter 12. This is a a power-packed chapter that really calls us into a new way of living. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you slowly. And while I'm reading it, I just want you to take it in. And I want you to notice what stands out to you as we read Romans 12. So feel free to close your eyes or to follow along on the page or on the screen. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Paul writes, And the teaching text for this morning is just verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's weird to start a series like in the third act of a book, isn't it? Especially when the first verse of the series is the word, therefore. Like, that probably requires a little bit of context. And if you're new to the book of Romans, this is actually a super long and dense letter that is written by a guy named Paul to a church in Rome in the first century. And when I say that this letter is dense? I mean, it is dense. I'm going to try to do uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans in like three minutes, Okay. Let's see if we can get there. The letter of Romans, it opens with a discourse about the depravity and sinfulness of humans. How when we are left to ourselves, we are all bent towards sin and brokenness. He says that we all exchange the truth for a lie. We all choose our own pleasure rather than living under the good rule of God. And he goes on to say that this is how much of a mess we are. That even when we are trying to find salvation by doing things that are good, by following rules and gritting our teeth and just, you know, trying to make it happen, he says we still muck it up. Our best efforts fall terribly short and this bent towards what is evil and what is selfish and what is self-seeking, it leads us ultimately to death. But, he doesn't, but God does not leave us there. It says actually that God's grace, he reaches down towards us, even in our sin. And he draws us up out of the muck of our selfishness. And he invites us into a whole new way of living. One that is marked by God's grace and his righteousness. And this new way of living, it stems from us being made new because of the sacrificial death of Jesus. Who died on a cross in our place For our sins, for all of the depravity, all of the brokenness, all of the selfishness that we live in, Jesus took all of it on Himself at the cross. And then all of the goodness of Jesus in His life and in His deity is what Paul calls His righteousness. It is given to us not because of our merit, but rather because of God's grace. It's a gift. And then Paul, he goes on from there to describe the difficulty of living into this salvation. That there seems to be this war on the inside of us. That even though we are being made holy, we are given this gift of righteousness, there's still like this nature in us that's bent towards sin. And that it's like this old sinful nature that is haunting our new creation. He says that we struggle forward in our salvation. But we struggle with, we, but as we struggle, we do so with a new identity, that we are no longer slaves to our sin or estranged, obj, estranged objects of wrath. We've been rather adopted as sons and daughters, and that nothing in all of the universe could ever separate us from the oceans of God's love there's nothing that you have ever done and nothing that you could ever do that would cut you off from God's pursuing love. He, Paul says that he would chase us to the ends of the earth to rescue us from our own brokenness. Now, in case you haven't put sort of the pieces of this puzzle together, what I just explained is the gospel. It is the power of God's salvation that is extended to all people. And the invitation for each and every person in the room this morning is to receive this unbelievable gift to leave the old life behind and to walk in the freedom of God's grace from here forward. And if you are here and you have never accepted this gift of salvation, let me plead with you. To receive it today, God wants to. He is reaching His hand out towards you. And then from there, Paul talks about how this gift of salvation for all people it was prepared by God through His covenant people, ancient Israel, and that they're like this tree, like God's tree, and that um, and it, like if you think back to last week, um, they're they're kind of like that that vine, you know, that that the branches grow off of, and and that we who are not Jewish what the Bible calls Gentiles, that we are like a wild branch that's been grafted in to God's family and to God's tree so that now it's not about whether or not you are Jewish. It's about being connected to God's family by the cross of Jesus. How are we doing? You guys following me? Did I lose anybody? Okay. And so then at the end of this long discourse, Paul writes this beautiful poem of praise. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has not known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's like this epic conclusion to the summary of the gospel, which finally brings us back to our starting point, that Paul begins chapter 12 like this. He says, therefore, in light of all of this, here is what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. For the rest of our time here, I'm not planning on like deep diving into sort of unpacking the, 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 the tangled theology of this. I just want to give some devotional thoughts, the things that the Lord told me as I spent time marinating in this passage. And if you're anything like me, it might take you a minute to wrap your mind around the exhortation that Paul is making here. It seems like what he's saying is that in light of the gospel— God my response God God wants me to offer my body before him as an offering of worship my body my body like he doesn't ask for my heart or my mind or my emotions my worship somehow has to do with offering my body And you know when you see something, like, with a new perspective? Like, when somebody takes a photo of you, like a candid that you weren't ready for from a different angle, and you're like, thanks a lot. (laughs) Um, Like, this week, I saw some stills uh, from the live stream, and I realized that from that camera's perspective, it looks like my sabbatical lack of haircut has become something of a mullet. So don't worry, the uh, haircut has been scheduled. Um, (laughs) You know it's bad when it's business on the right and party on the left. Um, I think that this verse, it brings a little bit of like a new angle on what many assume of the Christian life. It, It kind of runs up against what is typically assumed, not only in sort of church world, but also in the rest of our culture. You see, in church world, Um, Our bodies can tend to be a bit of an afterthought, Um, you know, with the exception, of course, of strictly policing sexual desires. We, We have tended to buy into this enlightenment thinking that the body is little more than a gross, wet machine that houses the real stuff of who we are, like our conscious self or our spiritual self, but that our body isn't really a meaningful participant in the spiritual life. Like... The way that we eat or drink or rest or exercise or inhabit space, what does that have to do with anything when it comes to my spirit? How would my physical body, my gender or my ethnicity or my sexuality or my aging or even my chronic pain, how does that matter at all in the way that I worship? And so we sort of just like write it off as, you know, less important. And on the other hand, in the rest of the culture, the body is both worshipped and belittled at the same time. It's worshipped because our culture exalts in physical beauty and sexual allure. Um, it, it, It worships sort of our sexuality and our appearance and athletic achievement. And at the same time, our culture diminishes the body by holding nothing sacred in how we treat our bodies, so long as we don't deprive the body of any pleasure or impulse. Because after all, we have to be true to our desires to be authentic to ourselves. And into this mess, Romans 12 shouts another way. He says that God cares about your body so much that he requires us to offer it to him as our true expression of worship. We offer our bodies to God as holy living sacrifices, Elsewhere in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul describes our bodies like this. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He says, Your body is a temple. It's a holy offering. It's sacred. Now, this word holy can be jarring for many of us, especially if you've grown up in, in kind of more religious or dogmatic spaces. For some, as soon as you hear the word holy, it, it comes with a lot of baggage. You may start to feel fear or shame or like a hammer is about to be dropped on you. But I think that this word is too important to abandon. I think that we need to bring it back and, and use it as God intended it. The word holy is the word hagios in the original language of the New Testament, And this word can be literally translated as unique or different or special. Like no joke, this word could very literally be interpreted as weird. And so as followers of Jesus, the way that we use our body and how we treat our bodies is intended to be kind of weird compared to the rest of the world around us. It's meant to be different or unique. And in the the context of the rest of the Bible, the word for holy, it means more to be set apart or to be consecrated or dedicated to God. And in, in neither of these usages, in being different or in being consecrated, is it really connoting primarily being about morality. He's not saying that holiness is really about being moral. He's saying that it's mostly about being set apart, different, or other. In the early books of the Bible... Uh, In the the Old Testament, when God's people were establishing the tabernacle and eventually the temple, all of the instruments that were going to be used by the priesthood for all of their ceremonies were called to be holy. He was like, your candlestands need to be holy. Your pots and your pans need to be holy. And these instruments weren't holy because they're more moral, like ethically produced. In fact, if you want to get into the history, they weren't so ethically produced. Um... That's a sermon for another day. Why did I bring that up? Sorry, guys. They're holy not because they're moral. They're holy because they're set apart for use in the temple and nowhere else. They're holy because they're different. And and the exhortation in this book is that we are to present our bodies to God as holy. That our, our bodies are the new temple of the Holy Spirit hosting the presence of God. That the way that we treat our bodies and the way that we use our bodies is meant to be hospitable to the presence of a holy God. And while holiness is about being different or set apart, it is not about being removed or separated from the world. Our path to holiness is not by retreating from the rest of the world around us. Richard Foster says it better than I ever could. This quote is money. Here we go. Holiness is not otherworldliness. Its life is not found by developing logic-type compartments of things sacred and things secular. We do not come into it by studiously avoiding contact with our manifestly evil and broken world. Holiness is world-affirming. The holy life is found smack in the middle of everyday life. We discover it while being freely and joyfully in the world without ever being of the world. Holiness sees the sacred in all things. It is integrative, synoptic, incarnational. Let's keep that up for a second. Feel free to snap a picture of that because that is a really, really good paragraph there. That holiness is not just about carefully avoiding the world and all of its vices. Holiness is about living beautifully and freely and joyfully in a broken world. Holiness is reflecting the light of God's love in the midst of a world that is fumbling around in the dark. Holiness is about inverting the world's understanding of what freedom is and specifically about what it means to be free with your body. You see, in the world's definition of freedom... You should be free to do whatever you wish so long as your freedom doesn't impede on anyone else's freedom. The world's definition of freedom is all about freedom to do something. But the freedom that God desires for us is a different and better understanding of freedom. It's about being free from the impulses and desires that lead to our destruction. If you begin back at the beginning of Romans, Paul shows us again and again that our hearts, that our desires are bent towards destruction, are bent. Like, they're not like twisted into abject, total depravity and evil all the time. They're just skewed enough away from the way of God that it leads us not into life, but rather into death. And so God's freedom is about being free from that. A person who lives as a holy living sacrifice experiences true freedom, a life free of addiction, a life free of lust, a life free of seething anger, and a million other things that seek to destroy us. And that's not to say that the Christian won't struggle, but we're struggling towards freedom from the tyranny of the flesh rather than being ruled by desires. Okay. So that's like theologically, all of this stuff. What does this all mean? Like, can we talk about it in regular language? The gospel is not a set of ideas to agree with and affirm, it's an invitation into a whole new way of living your life in the world. And Paul says that it actually begins in our bodies. God cares about your body. He cares about your eating and your drinking and your sexuality, that all of it can be worshiped to him. He cares about your habits and your recreation. He cares how you rest. He is honored in how you inhabit space or how you look for attention. He cares about how you approach later life and aging. He's invested in your singleness, he cares about your marriage. He created you intentionally with a specific sex and ethnicity. Your money and your work and what you produce is important to him. Even how we suffer sickness and endure chronic pain can be an aromatic offering to God. All of it matters to him. And he is pleased as you present all of yourself to him as a living sacrifice. And what we see is that it is a living sacrifice. It is not a non-living sacrifice, which means it, it is ongoing. It, it is offered to him daily. It's an ongoing act of worship. It means that your appetites and your desires and your struggles and your pains are all meant to be brought before the Lord and submitted to Jesus day after day. And that the daily sacrifice of our bodies to Jesus is pleasing to him. That when we struggle with temptation, when we struggle with the the longing for this comfort or that vice, and we bring it before the Lord and we hand it over to him, that he says that he is pleased not just in a one-time act of coming to an altar call to suddenly get free. He is pleased in the daily offering of your body. He is pleased in the week-to-week or day-to-day attendance of a, of, a, um, of a 12-step program as you are choosing to live into freedom rather than staying in your addiction. He is pleased when you say no to the, the vice on the internet or the, the, the club or whatever else that might be trying to draw you to receive comfort in ways not befitting of the life of a Christian. He is pleased in our daily sacrifice This is the way that we worship. In his book, Beholding, Strawn Coleman pretty much sums it all up for us. He says, this is why it matters so much to God what we do with our bodies in our day-to-day. Our bodies are the home of God. How we position them says something about our beholding manner before him in our ordinary activities. And when we refuse to use them for selfish gain, for lust, or for injustice, this too is spiritual prayer and worship. It makes obedience to Christ's command less about obedience to a law and more about conforming to the image of love already within us. It's us treating our bodies as they truly theologically are. Our faith is an embodied faith. Our faith, it doesn't live in our minds. It actually resides in our bodies. And this is why our physical presence matters, That in the church, we gather together week after week to share space with God together. We physically respond to God with hands raised or with eyes closed or with knees bent and kneeling before the Lord. We physically put hands on shoulders as we pray for healing and pray for blessing in each other's lives. This is why one of my favorite things about being back here on a Sunday morning in worship is watching Joanna Betrell dance and spin before the Lord. This is why sometimes when I'm not feeling worship, I'm kind of struggling to get there. I look over and I see Jenny McKee pouring herself out physically as much as she is pouring herself out spiritually before God. It is a celebration and it actually happens in our bodies. And so I want to encourage you as often as you are in town, to come and join us here on a Sunday morning in this room. I know that many of you uh, struggle with that and you, you stream online, but there's something really special. There's something spiritually significant that happens as we gather together physically in this space in God's presence. And so as we draw toward a close today, I want to ask, where do you sense that God is inviting you to offer yourself to him? What are the areas of your life that you still sense aren't yet submitted to God? As I was praying this morning and um, just kind of sitting before the Lord, I sensed that there are some here who might be silently struggling with alcoholism or some other substance use. And maybe you haven't even acknowledged it to yourself yet or anyone else, but you've become slowly over time more and more dependent and you find yourself habitually grabbing that drink or maybe an edible night after night, and you know that maybe it's not the healthiest thing, but you know it really helps to dial down the stress or the anxiety. And Jesus is wanting to put his finger on it, not to shame you, never to shame you, to gently put his finger on it and to invite you in to a truer joy, a truer peace, and a lasting freedom with him. Or maybe you're struggling sexually and it feels like it's just this constant losing battle. Maybe, it's, with like a, uh, maybe uh, it's a struggle with pornography or with lust. Maybe you find yourself starting to flirt with someone who you're not married to or even moving toward an affair. Maybe it's unwanted sexual desires or sexual confusion that you just don't know what to do with. And I want to affirm to you, God loves you. He wants you to be free with him. He wants to give you a new life with him. There still may be pain in the sacrifice, but your highest joy and your truest freedom are found with your loving father. Or maybe as you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking about how your body is sort of inhabiting the space, you just feel like you need a breakthrough in your body. Like perhaps you've been dealing with chronic sickness or pain and you feel like it's taking a toll, not just on your physical body, it's starting to take its toll on your mental and emotional well-being, like you just can't take it anymore. The brain fog, the depression, the anxiety is just starting to crowd in because of this sickness or this pain. I want to affirm to you, Jesus still heals bodies. He still heals bodies bodies. We have seen healing happen countless times here in the vineyard, and we would love to pray for you this morning to experience healing in God's presence. The invitation this morning is to present our bodies to God. He wants to set you free. He wants to meet you in your desires. He loves to heal and to restore. And as we offer ourselves to God, The Bible promises us that he meets us in the sacrifice. That before any of us took a step towards God, Jesus offered himself as a living sacrifice for you. His sacrifice made a way for you to receive eternal life in relationship with God, and you can experience this eternal life today. All you have to do is receive the gift by confessing that Jesus is Lord and giving him your life, mess and all and he'll wash you clean. He loves to take our brokenness and to make something beautiful out of it. And so I'm about to invite Carolyn and Jenny to come up and lead us in a time of response, but before I do, I want to ask you to take a step toward Jesus today. If you have never prayed a prayer or made a decision to follow Jesus with your life, today is the day of salvation. So let's just take a few minutes together, church, and quiet ourselves and make space for those who might want to receive this gift of salvation. If everybody in this room could just bow our heads and we're going to close our eyes and we're just going to give a little bit of quiet and space to everyone to examine the state of your heart and see if today is the day to become a follower of Jesus. So Lord, we just acknowledge that your presence is in the room. That you are speaking to us, you are speaking in this moment of quiet. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that that your peace and your grace would just rest upon each and every person in this room and every person who is watching online. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin to beckon and draw any of those who have yet to take that step towards you and extend to them this invitation to life and freedom an eternal life with you. And all you need to do is say, Jesus, here's my life. I'm yours. That's all it takes to become his son or his daughter. Amen. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, do anything uncomfortable or embarrassing and and stand up or anything like that. But if, if today you want to become a Christian, if today you're taking that step, I want to encourage you to, to come up and receive prayer from somebody who is at the front or come and talk to me. I would love to talk and pray with you to help you take these first steps in your journey with Jesus. But right now we're going to move into a little bit of a time of response. So I'd like to invite Jenny and Carolyn to come up and lead us.